You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Well, I am Mark McNally. I'm the director of outreach here on campus and bringing a message to you today about mentoring. And I'm going to just put it right out there and say that Mr. Incredible made a very poor choice not to mentor Buddy Pine, didn't he? Huge mistake. So I'm not going to suggest today that the perils and the dangers and the outcomes of you lacking getting a mentor or being a mentor probably not going to turn out quite that bad, but it's not good. You are going to see from a passage of scripture from 3,500 years ago, we have a case study of how mentoring goes really well. From the Incredibles, we got a case study from where it went really bad. And I look back on my nine years in the Christian faith, and I can almost line up when I start really struggling with things in my life, when I allow just circumstances and issues that are consuming my mind and thoughts and these battles inside our hearts and minds. Am I the only one that has these battles as a Christian? Okay, well, I can connect extended seasons of struggle, falling back in my obedience to God to when I've not had a really good mentor versus standing up in trial and standing up under suffering and actually growing my faith through those times when I've had a good mentor. And I've had about four in my time and I've mentored several men as well. And I am here to tell you today that your life will be completely transformed only through deep Christian relationships with someone as your mentor and or with you mentoring someone else. It's the only way. God has chosen life change to come through life exchange. When we exchange life at a deep level, that is when transformation and only when transformation comes. And like I said, we see that in scripture 3,500 years ago. We see it in the relationship between Moses. Uh, Raise your hand if you've heard of Moses, not Moses Leininger, but Moses from the Bible. Yeah. Okay. Well, Moses had a father-in-law named Jethro. All right. That makes me think of the Beverly Hillbillies before I came to faith. Now Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. It's good. And so we have this relationship between these two that grows over time. Moses leaves uh, Egypt, he finds out that he's actually a Hebrew, he kills an Egyptian soldier, and he rushes off out into the wilderness. Well, during this season of his life, he meets Zipporah, which is Zipporah, Jethro is her father, and then they spark up this relationship that by the time we get, Moses gets the people out of Egypt, he ends up back in the wilderness, and he connects back in Exodus 18 with his father-in-law, and they have this amazing interaction where Jethro really shows us how he has taken Moses up under his wing, as we would say today, and how, and how that has not only changed Moses' life, but it's going to change an actual circumstance in the people of God's situation there. Now, also, we're seeing mentoring explode here on campus. We're seeing multiple uh, areas and ministries and programs where mentoring is happening. We're calling it championing in some ministries. We're calling it being an ally in others. Mentor, whatever you want to call it, we are seeing this dynamic happen right here on the campus. And we're deciding, okay, this is a wave, a tidal wave of God's way to change lives here. And so we're going to jump on board. So we're talking today about mentoring leading up to two big events in March that Jason and I will be leading about 
mentoring as well to get a little bit deeper into that. But what we're finding, your leaders have talked about mentoring in a general sense, and we've found some values that are universal. We see mentoring happening in Jobs for Life classes, in, uh, in the high school and, and youth and uh, elementary school age children. We're seeing that happen in internships. We're going to talk about the specifics on that later, but we dug down and said, what are the essential values that need to be universal in a mentoring relationship? And so in, uh, what I want to do now is I want to walk through Exodus chapter 18 and see how Jethro and Moses both pull out and embody those values today. So in Exodus 18, we're going to look at verses 1 and 9 to start. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, heard about everything God had done for Moses and his people, the Israelites. He heard especially about how the Lord had rescued them from Egypt. Jethro was delighted when he heard about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel as he rescued them from the hand of the Egyptians. So the first couple of values we see from Moses and Jethro in this story is how mentors exhibit a contagious faith and they are risk-taking in the mission of Christ. So first, risk-taking. Now, I showed you the Incredibles, the, the syndrome and Mr. Incredible, uh, the perils of not mentoring won't be quite that bad for your personal life, and probably you're not going to have to take quite as big a risk as Moses took. Think about how Moses marches, leaves the wilderness with his, wilderness with his father-in-law Jethro, and he marches right up to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the leader of the most powerful country in the known world, most powerful force of military, economy, and everything, and he, he leaves a comfortable relationship with Jethro to enter into that risk. So what we see is that risk is going to be an aspect of us entering into a mentoring relationship. It's, it's going to take us stepping out of our comfort zone. It's going to take us stepping out of the known. Everything that we can kind of manage and control in our life that we like to do in relationships at times, right? Mentoring is going to be risk-taking, and also there's going to be a contagious faith aspect to it. You see, Jethro was not a believer in the God of the Bible before this. He was not a Hebrew. He was not an Israelite. But he not only marries into it. You see, this wasn't a, an arrangement where Jethro took on Moses' faith. It wasn't that at all. Jethro comes to faith in the God of the Bible. How? By sharing Moses' stories and life and watching God work and move through Moses and the people of God. So a contagious faith happens. Whenever you get to start walking, if you become a mentee, we call them, and you have a mentor or you become a mentor to a mentee, this strengthens, if not brings about faith in a person's life. We get stirred up by saying stories like, oh, like Jethro did with Moses. Oh, I heard about all that God did in Egypt. And you're going to do that with your mentor or your mentee. You're going to say, can you believe that God just did that in my life? Can you believe that he gave me the power to overcome that? It's, it's amazing. And that becomes contagious. And that's, that's a, a value that we see in mentoring relationships. We're going to pick it up back in verse 5 and find a couple more values. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, now came to visit Moses in the wilderness. He brought Moses' wife and two sons with him. And they arrived while Moses and the people were camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent a message to Moses saying, 
I, Jethro, your father-in-law, am coming to see you with your wife and your two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. He bowed low and kissed him. They asked about each other's welfare and then went in to Moses' tent. So the next couple of values we see here are that mentors are trustworthy and holding accountability and confidentiality and authentic in relationships. So trust is something that is got to form in this type of relationship. And that takes time. You're going to have to get to know the person and you're going to have to open up to that person. Now, how many of you have done that in a relationship and it went really bad? You can go all the way back to high school for this. This happened to me all the time back then. You share a part or a piece of your life that's raw and that probably still has a deep hurt or emotional attachment to you and that person that you confided in shares it with somebody else and or sits there stone-faced staring at you like, oh my gosh, (laughs) what have I gotten myself into befriending this person? They just aren't there for you. You're going to have to go into a relationship with somebody who is following Jesus, believing that if you press into God and they press into God, that you can actually build trust with one another. Moses trusted Jethro with his wife and his kids while he went to do the work of God. That's a deep trust. Now, they were, they were family, but we're family too, right? Our brothers and sisters in Christ, spending eternity together, right? Are we not family? We have got to come to the point where we give ourselves the opportunity to find somebody who we can trust. Now, authenticity has to be a part of that because as you start to grow in a relationship with a person, you're going to have to start believing. If you're sharing with them, you're going to have to start believing that they are authentic in their relationships, that they aren't play acting, that they aren't pretending to be somebody that they're not, that you aren't sharing with them, but they're just holding back themselves from you. A place that this happened, uh, there's a movie that has just come out from a book that uh, was famous a few years ago called Same Kind of Different as Me. If you could raise your hand if you read that book. Anybody read that? Okay, a handful. Same Kind of Different as Me. Long story short, uh, Ron Hall, the guy in the back, is an international, very wealthy uh, art dealer, and his wife was doing um, community service type work in a soup kitchen, and he ran into this Denver more, and Denver was homeless, and he was uh, very volatile, let's just say, and not trusting of anybody. And in this book, um, I could go on and on about the book. If you've seen, uh, if, you, if you could read this or watch the movie, it's, it's very transformational about this mentoring type relationship. But there's one um, conversation that I want to share with you. Denver asks Ron if he's a fisherman, if he's ever gone fishing. And uh, Ron's taken aback. He's like, uh, yeah, yeah, I've gone fishing, Denver. And he goes, well, good, because I was kind of wondering if you were a catch and release kind of guy or if you were a catch and keep kind of guy. He wasn't talking about fishing anymore, was he? Denver understood that in my life, I've caused a lot of pain and struggle, and it's difficult to be in relationship with me, but you know what? I can go all the way back to my childhood, and no one has stuck it out with me. Everyone bails. Everyone that even starts to have a relationship sees me and how difficult it is to be in relationship with me, and they bail. So, Ron, I got to ask you, is this, is this for real? Are you authentic? Are you going to stick it out? 
Are you going to catch and release when it gets hard to be in relationship with me? I have a mentee in the life change plan. Um, he's uh, gone through the uh, recovery program, New Beginnings, also re- reentry from in- some incarceration. Car- and he, uh, unbeknownst to knowing what I was going to preach today, in our meeting this week, he said, Mark, you know what? You're the first person that's actually stuck with me through relapses, through 90-day jail sentences, <laughs> through messing up in my personal life. You were there. He was saying, you didn't catch and release. You stuck it out. My wife is, works with uh, troubled teens in the foster care system at, at an organization called I Poor Life. And that's really their mission is because these kids in the system, they get left aside. They get set aside. Hardly any institution, any caseworker, any foster family sticks it out and is actually there. So I watched my wife be brutalized by a lot of these girls. They're hurting so bad. And she comes home and says, but I'm not going to bail. I'm not going to bail on her because everybody else has. So when you get into a mentoring relationship with somebody, whether you're going to enter into mentoring or whether you're going to receive one, get a mentor and be mentored, which you should probably do both, ask yourself that question. Ask yourself if you are a catch and release or a catch and keep kind of person. Can you be trusted by that other person? Are you authentic in your relationships? And will you be with them? So the next passage of scripture that we want to jump into is verses 13 to 19. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? Moses replied, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me, and I am the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. This is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. You're going to wear yourself out and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now listen to me and let me give you a word of advice, and may God be with you. So a couple of other values we see in the Jethro and Moses story and here on campus is that mentors engage with a gentle spirit and they're committed to being a lifelong learner. The first, a gentle spirit. I just, when I hear Jethro giving Moses that advice, he's, he's stepped back, he's watching Moses make a big mess of governing all of God's people in the wilderness and he's like, oh man, this is not good. And I think of Jim Mason. Let's look at our beloved pastor. yes. Pastor of pastoral care, pastor of Panera Ministries as well. If you've, run, if you've run into Jim at Panera, he is the official pastor of Panera Ministries. And you may not know that he was my supervising pastor for the first five years that I was on staff here. Lord have mercy on his soul. Now, you see, I came into the ministry from about 15 years of owning my own business. So I was my own boss. And I did, Stephanie remembers this. And I did things my own way. And I didn't want to listen to anybody because I had all the answers. And I cannot tell you how many times that Jim would call me into his office and go, this is not good. (laughs) And and he would, and he would do it with this gentle spirit. And I would think, man, this guy is telling me that I don't know anything yet and that I need to just shut up and start listening. And, but, but he's right. 
and he's so gentle, and he loves me, and he's for me. You know what? He doesn't want me to fail. He's watching me be a bull in a china shop, and he's like, okay, well, we're going to have to deal with this. All right? We're gonna, but we're going to talk to Mark because we love him, and he loves Jesus, and he's a mess. And he needs a mentor. And in that part of my life, Jim Mason was that to me, like Jethro was to Moses in that situation. And I think if you're going to get into a mentoring relationship, and that person, and we've seen this in the Life Change Plan, and that uh, mentor to you, or if you're this kind of mentor um, that's just barking order, you know, idiot. Like, what were you thinking? And you'll, if you're a mentor, you're going to want to do that sometimes, depending on who your mentee is. But if you can't garner, if both can't garner this gentle spirit, a, kind of a lifelong learner sort of, you know what? I don't know everything yet. And I probably need to listen. I have two ears and one mouth. There's probably some things that God was doing with the math on that. I maybe need to listen twice as much as I speak. And so we never, ever outgrow our need to listen to someone and have that advice come to us with a gentle spirit. Now think about Moses. If there is anybody throughout the scriptures at any time in the scriptures that you could say, that person doesn't need a mentor, they're good. It'd be Moses after he delivers God's people out of slavery in Egypt, right? This guy's a superhero. He is a God-size, part the seas, bring the plagues, taking care of business kind of guy. But even he needs a mentor. That turns everything upside down, doesn't it? If you're in here and your life is pretty together, you know, maybe you're doing well in business. Maybe you've developed leadership skills. Maybe you embody a lot of these values of mentoring. And you've thought to this point that I'm speaking to you as a mentor. Probably. But you need a mentor as well. Everyone needs a mentor. Everyone needs somebody speaking with a gentle spirit, speaking truth into their life. Because I promise there's, if there isn't an area of your life now, there will be an area of your life where you're like Moses, wearing people out and getting worn out. And it's because there's something you're doing in your life that you're completely blind to. You can't see it. We're going to pick the story back up in verse 24. Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and followed his suggestions. He chose capable men from all over Israel and appointed them as leaders over the people. He put them in charge of groups of 1,000, 100, 50, and 10. These men were always able to so available to solve the people's common disputes. They brought the major cases to Moses, but they took care of the smaller matters themselves. Soon after this, Moses said goodbye to his father-in-law who returned to his own land. Mentors are able to set appropriate boundaries and have a third generation approach to passing on the faith. Boundaries, boundaries are absolutely huge in a mentoring relationship. And when I used to hear about boundaries, I used to think, okay, well, that means don't answer your phone at 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> Or that means, and it does, there are logistical aspects. Uh, don't loan money when you don't know where it's going. Those are very true. And those are aspects of boundaries that I think each of you are going to need to get trained in at the event coming up. And hopefully in the ministries you mentor in, you're going to get that kind of training. But there's another issue about boundaries that I think we have to recognize. 
And that is boundaries for us to realize that there are aspects of our leadership in that person's life that we cannot take on. We cannot be Jesus to that person. We can't save them. We can't be their ultimate and only preacher or teacher. We can't be the person that gives them a ride everywhere. We can't be their banker. We can't be their mother or their father. And that happens a lot. There's a lot of paternalism that can run into a mentoring relationship. You just want to fix the other person, right? A boundary and a mentoring relationship means I understand I can only do what I can do and then leave the person to decide whether they're going to take those next steps of action in their life. Jethro does that, right? He doesn't, mo- he doesn't run in there and elbow his way in and, and sit on the seat and go, okay, Moses, watch me do this today. He didn't. He gave him advice. He said, God be with you. Then he stepped back. And as we see in the story, it was up to Moses to take it from there, right? The beauty of boundaries in a mentoring relationship is when the mentor and the mentee both know that mentor is not my ultimate savior and they can't ultimately make everything in my life better. Another aspect is the mentee has got to understand that what the mentor is doing in the Christian sense is helping them become more and more and more and more like Jesus, not more and more and more and more like the mentor. This happens a lot in mentoring relationships. The mentee starts to kind of look like a clone of the mentor. And Paul even said to the Corinthians, follow me as I follow Christ. So I'm a little further down the road than you. Follow me, but don't keep your eyes on the back of my head. We're both going toward the cross. That's where we're headed. The ultimate goal is for me to help you become all that God has created you to be not to be like me. Steven Spielberg said this beautifully, and I, we would reword it a little bit as Christians, but Steven Spielberg, the famous um, director, producer, screenwriter, said, the delicate balance of mentoring someone is not creating them in your own image, but giving them the opportunity to create themselves. Now, we would change the, little, the end of it up a little bit and say, giving God the opportunity to create them into the image of Jesus. That is... How exciting is that? Like, I really, deep down, if I'm honest with myself, I don't want Derek to be more like me. (laughs) That's not going to probably work out for him. A lot of areas, it still doesn't work out for me. No, I want Derek to be more like Jesus. I want to help him find that God-given potential that God placed in him, that is unique in him. There's uh, areas of mentoring that I told you I would mention that are on campus. They are on your bulletin if you'd like to grab that out or if you just want to look at the screen. Um, The kids and youth understand from Dawn and Tim that a lot of mentoring is happening in those ministries. Faith and Finances is a new um, financial management class that we have, Jobs for Life, job training. Uh, Mentoring happens on the staff, as I mentioned, between Jim Mason and myself. It still happens from supervisor, pastor to directors and on down. Um, we have mops where mentoring happens, the coach house, the women's transitional home over here. Each of those ladies have a mentor internships. Uh, the life change plan is a ministry for those in recovery primarily. And then at the bottom miscellaneous, this is an organic thing, guys. 
You know what happens whenever God comes into a community or, or creates a movement of something? He doesn't allow us to sort of put it in a box, does he? He doesn't allow us to make a template out of it or, or have a perfect little game manual for mentoring. It's, you know what? I'm kind of glad that it isn't like that. I'm glad that it's organic. What does Pastor Jason say, Jake? Chaotic. It's chaos, it's chaos but it also has some order around it. Those are the areas of mentoring. There is an event coming up. I've mentioned it a couple times, and we have two of the same events. So you can choose to go to one of these. They are the same event. And it is March 19th from 2 to 4 p.m. That's a Sunday afternoon. And March 25th is a Saturday, the following Saturday morning from 9 to 11. Now, here's what's going to happen. Anyone who is already a mentor really needs to be at that. Anybody that has any interest whatsoever ever in becoming a mentor needs to go. You're going to go, and for an hour, you're going to hear Pastor Jason and myself talk about the essences of mentoring, some training and equipping, how we can do this well, more than I have time to do today. And then for the second hour, you're going to get invited to one of those different areas of breakouts where you can learn more about a particular area of mentoring on campus. So we hope that you will hope that you'll attend one of those. You see, when you enter into mentoring, you absolutely are going to have to probably give something up, right? It takes some time, not, not as much time as you would think. But if you think about it, is there anything in your life that you've had that's been transformational, relationship, career, educational, whatever, that you didn't have to invest in, anything at all? Did anything come free, cheap, or easy that has any meaning or significance in your life? There are no shortcuts, right? Are there any shortcuts to the Jethro and Moses story? Not at all. That was decades. We don't like to wait weeks for transformation. <laughs> but biblical characters had to wait decades. This is a picture that I, I, I wanted to show on this. On the road to success, there are no shortcuts. Most of us walk around making statements like that and believe in that very tweetable statement, but yet we're driving the life, <laughs> driving our life under the bridges, right? But we still think we can cut corners, don't we? We still think we can get things fast and cheap and easy. Well, we can't. Mentoring, I'm just going to be honest with you, is not going to be a shortcut in your life. You'll find success, but you're not going to get there quick and easy. So it's a chance where I get to kind of hear from you. What are some of the roadblocks, would you say, to not entering into a mentoring relationship. Anybody be willing to share? Time, okay. Okay, yeah, afraid that you're going to yeah, wear them out. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, okay. You've got to have everything together before you have anything to give to someone else. Yeah. Anyone else? Okay, yeah. So, like, mentor dating, right? <laughs> we should do a mentor speed dating event here on campus. So, how are you? What do you think? What are you looking for in your life? Yeah, this isn't going to work out. Okay, now, how do you? <laughs> it's not a bad idea, but to talk to Jason about that. But, yeah, I mean, okay, but there really is this, there is this dynamic of dating that's like dating whenever you're getting to know your mentor and your mentee. You're, like, you're reading the situation, you're kind of managing the conversations. When do I share? How much? And yeah. 
No, I think that's very, very good. Anyone else? Okay, too attached. Yeah. All right. Those are all really good, and what I'm about to say isn't going to discount any of them, although one of them was mentioned. Uh, Tim Keller has a quote that I have just about committed to memory. I just love this. I think it embodies so much of what we're talking about today and can also help connect us to mentoring and our relationship with God. And, and he says that it would be two things that are our major roadblocks to entering into these type of relationships. He would say to be loved but not known is superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear, but to be known and loved, that transforms you. So if we could keep that quote up on the screen. So in the first one, he's saying basically a roadblock there would be time. To be loved but not known is superficial. I just wanted to check this morning, and I have 859 friends on Facebook. This is awesome. Everybody loves me. But not very many of those people really know me, do they? So a question I have to then ask myself is, how many of them would still love me after they really knew me? Less than 859, I can assure you. So if time was, was what you threw out there, you know what? Another superficial relationship, you're right. You don't have time for that. You shouldn't make time for that because it isn't doing anything for you. You see, something deep down, as you get more friends, and if you're the outgoing ex extrovert type like me, and you can be the life of the party, and you can have fun conversations, and you can make jokes and cut up, but then you go home, and your head hits the pillow, and there's that thing inside you that just was not truly fed by that. Right? I mean, it was fun in the moment, but you know deep down, those people are laughing at a superficial version of you. And that's fine. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it doesn't feed the soul. And so if you're thinking you don't have time for this, then possibly you don't because you have too many superficial relationships in your life already at this point. The second part of it, to be known and not loved, is our greatest fear. So time first, second is fear. We're afraid. And really, I think that's the bigger issue. I think we don't enter into relationships like this because we're afraid. We're afraid if they know me, then what? If they really know my deepest secrets, if they really know my darkest thoughts, if they know my struggles that I still am embroiled in, if they know what I've done in the past, then they're, like Denver was asking Ron Hall earlier, then they're probably going to catch and release. And you know what? I've had people leave before and it's too painful, and I can't do it anymore. So I'm just going to build this wall, and, and I'm going to keep all of my relationships superficial, and I'm going to hunker down, and I'm not going to open up. The problem with that is, that is our greatest fear, but until we're truly known, fully known, and truly loved, we cannot be transformed. You see, the lie is we think we're protected if all of our relationships are superficial and there's no risk at all of anybody leaving us after they find out who we are. But the reality is we are just as empty in our isolation as we are in our rejection. We are. If we're honest with ourselves, we know it hurts just as much and we know it feeds our soul just as little. You see, Keller nails it in the end 
that when we are fully known and truly loved unconditionally, that is what transforms. That is why, same kind of different as me, Ron Hall and Denver Moore's relationship turned into a book that turned into a movie. Because Denver became fully known and he was still truly loved. And here's why that story has a power about it. It's because what it is what every single one of us needs. Every one of us. And we all have access to it through God. Have you connected that dot yet? You see, we can have a superficial relationship with God by not spending enough time on it, right? We just don't know him that well. Or we think, we tell ourselves that he doesn't truly know us. Or some of us know that God knows who we truly, really are, and we start guessing, second guessing, right? Well, maybe he doesn't really love me. Maybe he loved me back when I was this person, but now that I've done this or that, now that I still struggle in this area, maybe God doesn't love me like that anymore. That's where our mind can go. And here is where the scriptures go every single time the love of God is taught or proclaimed or shown through. He loves you and he knows you. You are truly known by the God of the universe, your creator, and he loves you. He loves you so deeply. And his relationship with you can be close and it can be intimate. But the way that he wants to fully have it embodied in the church and in this world is for you to get in those relationships with other people. With the foundation set that I'm fully known and truly loved by God, now what do I have to lose? I know that God loves me. I'm secure in that. Now I can venture out into relationships with others who love Jesus. And let's see how transformed that we can get together. I really want to encourage you to know that is how God feels towards you. And then knowing that, enter into a relationship of mentoring or being mentored in the next season of your life. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for this passage of scripture, for this wave of ministry that's happening here on campus. Thank you for the life change that has happened. We recognize that you want to do even more. Forgive us when we just allow ourselves to only be known superficially. Forgive us when we're just afraid to make ourselves known. Would you come in this time of worship and response, and would you give us a renewed desire to be fully known and to allow ourselves to be truly loved? In Jesus' name, amen.